I'm Sarah. I'm Steve. And I'm Erica. And friends, we are starting a new series here in the middle of the Easter tide season. We're going to be looking over the next few weeks at uh, spiritual gifts. Earlier in the year, we talked about spiritual disciplines and some of the practices that we like and that we participate in, in ourselves. Uh, during this series, it's going to look a little bit different because disciplines are something that you practice, something that you choose. Gifts are something that is given to you, though there is a bit of practice that goes into it as well. And so we're going to start off by talking about, you know, what what are gifts? Uh, what's the difference between gifts and talents? Those kind of things. So um, who wants to get us kind of rolling here as, as we talk about this, this new subject matter? Well, I like the way you've begun to frame things already, Erica, that um, this is maybe a parallel track to what we talked about in an earlier series about spiritual disciplines, but that they're, and and maybe in, in some ways they are about, they're both about things that help deepen and develop our, our faith life and our, we could say relationship with God and relationship with neighbor, but um but that there are some important differences, and maybe one of them is uh, that when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're talking about something that originates from God in some way, that these are things God gives, um, and that we, we talk about practices as the kind of thing that you might start, you don't have to, uh, you might choose to do it, you might do it for a long time, and it might feel like it pays off or doesn't pay, there's something different qualitatively when you're talking about a gift that's been somehow handed to you, and that then you maybe have to discover yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, I think, the the hardest part when you're talking about the gifts is that discovery process. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are those places, where are those areas that God has gifted you? And sometimes, that, I mean, that just takes practice. You know, you, you try something out, you think, well, maybe, maybe I've been given the, the gift to preach or to teach or something. And so you try it and you find out, maybe not yeah yeah and we'll we'll be talking in a future episode about um what kinds of things get called spiritual gifts in the new testament and maybe we'll we'll want to open uh, a little bit of a can of worms now and talk about while there are listings that you'll get in say a first corinthians or in a romans or you know they'll have places where uh, a writer may say well here are some of the gifts you might have um i'm not sure that any of those places um treat treat those lists like they are written in stone like this is the exhaustive list there's no other possible ways we can talk about gifts um and so because of that there there's a little more fluidity of um discovering a gift might be akin to discovering other kind of talents in life so so for a moment we can even bracket out the the word spiritual and say how how do we discover other talents or abilities or or capacities that we have as human beings and yeah it feels sometimes like um, you stumble into it. You know, the, the kid who's always drawing and doodling, you go, huh, I wonder if this kid's got talent in art and you put more opportunities in front of them and maybe they flourish. But sometimes we discover talents in other ways that maybe it's, you'd never had the opportunity until, you know, some some coach says, yeah, you know, let, let's, let's let you run or let's let you, you know, play as a starter in, in the basketball team and you discover you've got an aptitude. Um, and sometimes it's what other people help see in you and help to tease out. 
so is there a difference between a spiritual gift and a talent? Like, because we, I think we've been throwing around a couple of these words without stopping and like defining them, mm -hmm. but like, um, okay. So about 10 years ago now, I taught myself how to knit mm -hmm. and, you know, after knitting for 10 years, I like to think that I'm pretty good at it. Um, but you know, is that, is that a talent? I'm not sure I would clarify that. I, I don't think I would call that a, a spiritual gift. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, I just tend to knit for myself and for like family members. Um, would it be a spiritual gift if I spent most of my time knitting prayer shawls or chemo caps? Right, like, right, right. Um, I guess, I guess for me, that's a, what, what's the difference between a talent and a spiritual gift? Well, may, maybe we could, we could, uh, this is one of those half formed thoughts. So feel free to slap me upside the head if this airs into heresy or nonsense. Um, but I, I want to, I want to borrow the idea we had when we were comparing our, our conversation about spiritual disciplines. And there are all kinds of things in life you could call a discipline that may or may not have a spiritual dimension to them. And maybe some of it is how, how you let it, uh, focus or feed your, uh, your, your faith life and your connection to others. And so maybe like, you know, learning martial arts is a discipline for sure. But I know folks who see it very much as like a, almost a spiritual experience and others are like, no, this is just so I can kick butt in the back alley when I want to be Batman. Um, and maybe we could say, okay, nobody says Batman, but me. Um, but um, maybe we could say that, that, that there are all kinds of things we could call talents or gifts or, or special aptitudes. Um, but when they are oriented in the way they are used toward building up one, one's own or other people's faith life, that there were, were more clearly in the realm of spiritual, what, what get called spiritual gifts. We, we could say that all talents of all kinds and all aptitudes in a sense, are gifts of God. So like in a in a broad sense, you could say, you know, Mozart, who's given this, you know, prodigious musical ability, that's a gift from God. Um, and no matter how much Salieri is upset that he's never good enough and doesn't compare, it's a gift from God, you could say. Um, but the things that the, the New Testament calls spiritual gifts seems like they are things that are explicitly oriented toward building up the, the, the community of Jesus, um, or the helping the community of Jesus followers do their work to be Jesus people. Um, and so in that regard, maybe that helps give a little bit of clarity that like, like your, your knitting example, like it's, 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 it's a talent that has, that you could shape in a certain direction. And in that regard could be used in a sort of spiritual way. Um, but there are ways, like, like you say, it, it could also just be a generic talent that is a good thing to have as a human being, but not necessarily used in a way that is necessarily spiritual. I mean, like, I'm sure somebody working in a factory somewhere knitting something doesn't necessarily particularly see that as a gift or, or a, a gift of God, more like, this is how I get my paycheck. I'm just making sweaters, but. Yeah, and while, like, the gifts like of a prayer shawl or, you know, the, the chemo hats or something like that brings about comfort does it necessarily grow somebody's faith? It could. Right. Know, but that I don't know that that's always necessarily the purpose. Right. And, yeah, and I, I think that's, that's the difference between a, a talent and a, at least that's the way I see it, the difference mm -hmm. between a talent and a gift. Mm -hmm. A talent can be used to glorify God, you know, 
amazing organists and musicians and singers do that every Sunday in church, at least before the pandemic they did. <laughs> um, but, you know, but, and in some ways that does help people grow their faith. Like for myself, you know, music is a huge part of how I worship and, and it can bring me to tears. It can bring me closer to God, but I don't necessarily consider that a spiritual gift in yeah. the same way I, I do some of the things we're going to talk about later. Maybe that, that's, a, that's a helpful um, uh, touchstone or I don't want to say criterion, but like, like when I think about um, there, are, there are people who are gifted writers, you know, authors who've written beautiful, wonderful books who are not particularly interested in using their ability to write in ways that connect more people people more closely to God, they're writing whatever else is their passion. And that's a lovely, important, good thing. You need people who can write generically. But there are folks who see not only that they have an aptitude for writing, but that they see their ability to write as this could be a way that helps connect people with God. And you could say the same thing with a, a painter or a musician or something like that, that it's not just the level of skill, but the direction in which you're aiming it, maybe. So like, I'm going to, I'm going to like have a flashback to my physics one high school class um, where they taught us the concept of vectors, that there are things that don't just have magnitude, but have a direction. So like, it's not just like being really good at something, but aiming it in a certain direction maybe makes a spiritual gift so that it's possible to be a gifted writer, but not to see that as a spiritual gift because you're not using it in a way that aims it toward how can I help build up the community? And that's not to denigrate people who write great cookbooks or travel articles or whatever, but to say that's scratching a different human itch, but that spiritual gifts have that sense of, I have this ability and it is for the sake of the community of God's people. How, how does that sound? Like it, it, push back if that sounds like nonsense or heresy. No, I, I think you're spot on. Like it's just, I, like I said, I think a lot of it has to deal with how we use that gift. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are certain ones that are specifically named in scripture that are spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are things I think that aren't named in scripture that can be spiritual gifts um, just as equally as the ones that are named in scripture, but it depends on how they're being used. Sure, sure, sure. I think that the word that I, I, I've heard us use a couple of times now is community, uh-huh. right? Because again, knitting for me could be a spiritual discipline, right? Mm-hmm. It makes me sit still. It makes me to kind of relax and in a lot of ways, when I'm just sitting and knitting, I'm able to, to pray mm-hmm. better, I think, than if I'm also like doing the dishes or, you know, running around trying to do like five things at once. Knitting makes me slow down and stop. But since that's not a community aspect, that's just me sitting in my living room knitting. Um, I don't think that's a spiritual gift in that moment just because it's making me slow down and pray um that's more of a spiritual discipline whereas if it is something that benefits the whole community like teaching or preaching you know stuff like that i think that it tends to lend itself more to that spiritual gift because it's not just for me it's for the whole community yeah and i might suggest too another um boundary marker or or piece of our working definition of what a spiritual gift is is that like unlike say a spiritual discipline that you can 
regulate in a sense that there are some things that you do as a daily discipline. You know, I, I make this practice of prayer or I journal in this way or I fast on a certain periodic basis or whatever. And I do that regardless of the payoff, that it's not exact like I might do it and say today the clouds didn't part and I didn't hear a voice from God or get a great insight, but I'm doing it anyway because that's a part of what I need to do. You do it anyway. Um, but spiritual gifts have this way of being a little more slippery and unpredictable that um, like again, almost like, you know, the the way the ancient people talked about the muse that would whisper in the ear of the artist or the sculptor or the poet. And like, they produce something amazing and they go, this didn't come from me. This is the muse whispered in my ear. Um, There's something like that about this, about spiritual gifts that like the person who has the gift um, doesn't at the end of it go, see how great I am, but they're able to say, this was, this is something that God helped to bring forth and it happened through me, not in spite of me, but that it's, it's, again, it's a God gets the glory kind of a thing. And also that God is the one who's, who's doing the giving. I just get to be the channel, you know, like, like almost like when you turn on the faucet and you get a really like delicious, cold, refreshing glass of water, you don't say, thank the faucet. What a great job the faucet did. Like it's the water that's quenching your thirst. And yes, the, the plumbing is a part of how it gets to you. Um, but that maybe spiritual gifts have that kind of like, oh, this is really God who's doing this kind of a thing. Um, and it can, that because it's God, God reserves a right to be surprising and spontaneous um, and to lavish those gifts um, apart from who we think are worthy of it. So I think we just touched on two important things. Spiritual gifts edify the community. Okay. And glorify God. Okay. Like those for me, anytime I've taught on them, every anytime I've read about them, anytime I've studied them, like those are those those key factors in there. Is they edify the community, they glorify God. And so if you can put that criteria around it, then it's likely a spiritual gift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and that means like if oh go ahead. If you do something without one of those criteria, even though it might be categorized as a spiritual gift, then it's probably not in that moment. You know, ah. you're at yourself and say, well, look at me. I have this amazing healing ability. Right. No, no, it's not me that's doing it. It's God who's doing it. And I'm just his vessel to do it through. You know, and that's, a, you know, that can be taking a spiritual gift that maybe God has given you but you're not using it for the right reasons. So I think a good example of this might be Dr. Strange, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. I'm I'm glad we're going to get a Marvel Cinematic Universe reference in this conversation. Yeah, so he's been, he's a, a fantastic doctor, right? Like he like does great, amazing things, uh, you know, before his hands get crushed. But, um, but he very much is, uh, I'm a fantastic doctor. Look what I did. Mm-hmm. So he, even though he used his gift, he healed people. Um, he never actually like used it to glorify God. It was very much a look at me. I'm amazing. And yeah, you could say that the arc of that character, at least in the movie version, uh, is that, that when he comes to see that he's been given, uh, an ability or a talent or whatever, a power that is not just meant for his own ego stroking, but for the good of other people. Now he can use it in super Avengery kind of ways. Yeah, I, I, I think that's it. like, you, you might say that the story of Doctor Strange is the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's commentary on spiritual gifts. Sure, sure, sure. 
Um, or uh, like, it, it, and, and I don't, I don't want to make this whole conversation all about Marvel superheroes, but um, <laughs> <laughs> as 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 a um, someone who came of age when the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies were coming out, there's that repeated refrain that everybody knows: uh, "With great power comes great responsibility," and that maybe there's a, an analog to spiritual gifts there as well. That like when you've been given a gift, it's not just for yourself. So maybe the the spiritual gift analogy or analog would be something like with with a great spiritual gift comes a, a a commitment that it's used for the sake of building up the other the community the the, the body you could say and that it's meant to point beyond yourself to god there is a parable that often comes up in the lectionary um you know the parable of the talents yeah and Granted, like, I think every time this parable comes up in the lectionary, I have a hard time deciding, like, which direction I'm going to go with it, because in um, a talent is a form of money. Right. So, like, this master gives so much money to three different slaves, and then he goes away, and then he comes back, and he's all like, okay, what did you do with my money? And, you know, like the first guy, he had like 10 talents or whatever, which is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, And he managed to like invest it and grow it. And he had like two or three times more. And then the same guy had like five talents and he also managed to grow it and et cetera, et cetera. And then the last guy buried his in the backyard and didn't do anything with it and just gave his master back exactly what was owed. Um, and the master gets all mad because he didn't use that talent. He didn't grow it. He didn't invest it. And, um, I always have a hard time deciding, do I talk about money here or do I talk about actual talents? Right. Like, you know, cause if you don't use a talent, like say you have a, a talent for music or for teaching or whatever, but if you don't use it, if you don't continue honing that talent, you're going to lose it. <clears throat> like. I took piano lessons for years. I haven't kept up with practicing. Therefore, I'm not that good at the piano. I'm just good enough to find my own voice part to learn, you know, a a new singing thing. If the singing doesn't involve a lot of sharps or flats, (laughs) like ideally it's in the key of C. Um, but like, that was an example for me in my own life of like, I didn't continue practicing and using this ability that I had. And so I lost it. Yeah. Yeah. So that begs the question then, are spiritual gifts a lifetime thing? You know, once you have it, do you have it for life or can you lose it? Like you would lose, you know. I, I always talk about Greek and Hebrew when it comes to that kind of stuff. You know, you know, when I was in seminary, I, I took a, two semesters of Greek and a semester of Hebrew. I couldn't read Greek or Hebrew to save my life now because yeah. I didn't keep up with it. You know, so are spiritual gifts something that you have for a lifetime? If you use them or you don't use them, or are they something that can be taken away? Let let me suggest at least a couple of boundary markers here, because I, I feel like there there may be some some parts of this question that we can't definitively answer without claiming to know the mind of God. But there are probably some things we can at least stay away from and say, beware, there be dragons here. Um, it seems to me like and correct me if I'm forgetting something, but um, I don't see much in the New Testament, at least of gifts being taken away as 
punishment. Like, I don't see a sense of like, you were bad and therefore God takes away your ability to impart knowledge or wisdom. Like there's more sort of this, they are for the sake of the community. And because they're for the sake of the whole community, taking it away from one person would hurt the whole community. And it's more instead like they're for the community. If you're misusing it, either stop using it till you get your head on straight or learn to use it the right way, but not we're going to take away the gift from the whole community because we're punishing one or God's punishing one person. So I'd say I'd be nervous about saying um, be good or be holy or else God will take away your spiritual gifts. Um, But I guess I might suggest that like the parallels of other kinds of talents or abilities, if you let them get rusty, you can get them in usable working condition again, but it requires the, the additional time to, I guess, hone them again, maybe. I also kind of wonder if maybe some spiritual gifts might be something that you are called to use for just a short period of time in one certain community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true too. There, I think there are certain gifts that tend to be more lifetime, mm-hmm. um, like a teaching, preaching kind of deal. Uh, but there might be gifts like tongues or interpretation of tongues Um which is, you know, that's a whole can of worms. <laughs> down we'll the get there. We'll, we'll get there, I'm sure. <laughs> Which but, could be more of a, you know, kind of one-time or very rare occasional kind of usage thing. But but I think you're absolutely right, Steve, you know, that idea of, you know, if you use the gifts poorly or if you've been a bad person, I don't anywhere see God taking away gifts Um just because you've been bad with them or you've mistreated them. And that's not to say that the community doesn't have an obligation to reign in bad behavior. There's plenty in the New Testament of if you're abusing your uh, talent or ability or position or authority, the the New Testament, the, the letters that are focused on community life seem pretty hard on like, yeah, don't don't let abusers continue in positions where they can abuse or that kind of thing. But that's more the community then has a different role. Other people who have the gift of leadership are going to be called to step up and go like, no, sorry, this can't continue. And that's humans controlling the gift versus yeah. God taking it away. Right. Exactly. 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 So in this whole conversation, I keep thinking of Jonah, who was called vocationally to go and proclaim what God wanted him to proclaim specifically to the community of Nineveh. And Jonah super did not want to do this and tried at every opportunity to run away and to not do this thing. But eventually God got him there. And so he went and proclaimed and, you know, it was essentially like, Hey, if you don't turn your act around, God is going to smite you all. Um, and then the city like actually responded and was all like, oh, you're right. You know, thank you so much for coming in, like pointing that out. We're going to, we're going to turn around. We're going to turn our act around and we are going to, you know, get back on track. Thank you. And Jonah's kind of mad about this, right? Cause I think he wanted to see the city of Nineveh smited mm-hmm. and you know, God had a couple of, you know, important lessons for him about a fig tree and anger and like God's will, et cetera, et cetera. But then we don't ever really hear from Jonah again. So like, it doesn't seem as if God used Jonah again to go and continue to preach God's 
word or mm-hmm. to teach people to like turn back to God or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of this one time thing. And, and granted, I don't know if that's because Jonah was like resisting this role that God was calling him into, or if it was just, this was the only thing God had planned for him. I, I, I appreciate you raising that example and that idea to, to pick up that earlier thread that there might be gifts or moments that someone's called to step up and that's their message and this is their time for it. And then they're called to step back into the, 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 the wings rather than into the, the limelight. Um, and I, I think that's, that's a, a really, really helpful example that, that spiritual gifts are not necessarily, and maybe a sign that they're being abused is when you treat it like it's your ticket to be a celebrity uh, and that this will be your meal ticket for your lifetime. I'll be the guy who's got this gift or I'll be the girl who's got this gift rather than um, in this moment, you bring forth the thing that God has called you to bring forth. And, and if there's more fine, but it, since it's coming from God, it's on God's timetable, not yours. And Jenna, I think is also a really true example of this being a spiritual gift, like from God. I, I preached on Jonah earlier this year and at least according to what scripture, what we have in scripture, he gave a seven word sermon Yep. in Hebrew. That's it. Like he didn't have a diatribe. He didn't have Peter's, you know, um, Pentecost sermon that went on for hours or anything, (laughs) you know, where people were falling out of the windows and, and that, you know, it was seven words. And yet a whole nation turns to God because of seven words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's clearly one of those examples, like, okay, God is working in this. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. This isn't Jonah, you know, obviously he was reluctant. We get that part of the story, but like, there's no way that Jonah, even if he was willing, could just say seven words to Nineveh and have them turn back to God if God was not in it. And I, I think there's more to be mined in the example of Jonah, too, in that how God uses a gift may or may not be what we expect at the time. Because like, like you said, Sarah, it seems as Jonah finally reluctantly goes and announces the message, Jonah's not so secret wish is he wants to see the, the people destroyed. He wants to see God zap them and his uh, unspoken fear until the very end is he's worried that God will be merciful to them because he doesn't want to see the people get off the hook. Um, and yet God, it seems, uses the message of judgment to bring forth and provoke the mercy that God's already got in mind. So like God's, you know, doing, you know, Jedi mind tricks on Jonah. I mean, like finally Jonah is thinking, fine, I'm going to tell these people they're all going to burn. And when he announces that message, God uses it in this backdoor way to get the people to be recipients of grace. It, it reminds me a little bit of, this has become like one of the important theological movies for my life. Um, the old Richard Dreyfus movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, where he's like this, you know, musician uh, who wants to be a, you know, a professional composer and be a big name celebrity, you know, uh, in the, in the realm of classical music and ends up being a high school band teacher for his lifetime. And at the end of the movie, you watch him age and he feels like he's a failure, but all of his former students come back and say, no, we were the thing that was your life's work. We were your opus. Um, and then they play the thing that he's been writing all throughout the whole movie. But like the idea that he had in mind my ability, my musical talent is for me to write the great American symphony. And in the end, the people whose lives he's touched say, no, no, we were the thing you were meant to work on. We are the the product of what your gift was for. Um, that's a humbling kind of thing. Cause it, it, it doesn't mean that he, you know, um, 
publishes the great you know, American symphony, but it means recognizing the gift was used in an unexpected kind of way. And I think that maybe taps back into that idea that a spiritual gift isn't intended for the fame or ego stroking of the person who has it but for the sake of others. And that may or may not translate to credit and it's it's almost like if you get credit for danger danger will robinson that might be uh a a a warning sign that that things could be headed in a bad direction but if if your abilities are are helping other people whether or not they recognize it or know know, who to applaud for that you're maybe on on better better ground so i i i'm kind of wondering about recognition of spiritual gifts okay uh in particular so so when we were um so when i was discerning a call to ministry um there was uh, a lot of talk in my discernment process of uh vocation often is both internal and external mm-hmm. like you have to both feel the call of god and that has to be also recognized in the community, right? Like the community has to also be calling you into ministry, right? Um, and so I, I'm, I'm maybe unfairly trying to put the same rubric to spiritual gifts of both thinking that it should have both an internal recognition and an external recognition, but like you said, Steve, like, I think that there is that danger of once you start getting like props, like, okay, ex- for example, um, preaching, everybody's all like, oh, you're an amazing preacher. Like, and then that becomes more of a focus on you as opposed to like what you're saying and about what you're like glorifying God, then I think there's that danger there. So I'm not really sure what I'm trying to ask here other than like, how do we recognize spiritual gifts? Because I also want to say that there also seems to be danger if I'm all like, oh yes, God has given me the ability to preach, right? <laughs> like that seems really like, like I have a big ego, right? So right, right, right. right. And in the back, we recognize spiritual gifts in both ourselves and in others. In, in the back of my mind, as you say that, Sarah, is those words of Jesus from, um, uh, the the Luke's version of the Beatitudes that also have the the woes at the end where he says woe to you and all speak well of you uh, you know because that's what they that's what they said about the false prophets that like the the people who go around always getting applauded because they're great at bringing a word from God Jesus seems to be like be careful because that might be a sign that you uh, are a false prophet um, that you're you know uh, just in it for your own ego so like yeah that 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 um, tension is, is, is a difficult one. Like I, I can remember when I was growing up, it was a popular thing to give like the, the junior high and senior high youth class and Sunday school surveys of spiritual gift, you know, like, and you take this inventory, like, you know, like, uh, uh, what are your talents or things like that? And in some ways it felt like, wow, it's just as simple as filling out a bubble sheet, like, you know, a standardized test in school. And that's how you find it out. Um, and, it's it that that feels a little bit like it takes some of the mystery and the 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 spirit out of it that it's as you know reducible to a survey but on the other hand at least there was something that was kind of concrete and was like 
this is more than just a gut feeling, but like, oh, these kinds of things might be associated with this talent. So if you are, you know, you like this or you're, you know, skilled at this, you might have this talent. But that that also feels like it was like maybe half a bubble off plum too. <laughs> so I've taken lots of those tests um, uh-huh. because that's just like what I like to do. I'm like, oh, I'm curious to see what this test has because all those tests are different. Right. I, I get more weight on some of them than I do others. Um, and they, the, what they consider to be spiritual gifts, the list always varies, you sure. know, on all those tests. But for me, one of the, the most, um, I don't know what the word I want to say is, um, but maybe one of the most impactful practices for me, um, in my denomination, we have this Bible study series called Disciple Bible Study. And the, the first session of it is a 30 week, you know, overview of the Bible um, and at the, on the very last day, when you gather together and you spend these 36 weeks with these folks and you've gotten to know each other and you've, you've shared your joys and your concerns and life with each other, you have a gift of spirit, you have a list of spiritual gifts from scripture and you're supposed to write down which gift or gifts you think every other person around the table has. Ah. Um, and so that really opened my eyes to some gifts that I didn't realize I had, but once people kind of, you know, once they read the description and, 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 you know, we, we looked at what the gifts mean, they're like, Oh, what, you know, we think that you have this or you have that. Like, and the first time I took, I was in seminary. So like preaching and teaching were up there. I I knew that was, you know, gifts that I had, but there were some other gifts. I'm like, okay, I didn't see myself having this gift or didn't see this gift in this way. But now that you have said this, I'm like, I can see that. Let me, let me explore that some more and yeah. kind of see where, where God leads in that. Um, so I think it is definitely a little bit of both. Um, and, you know, just like vocation, you know, you need to have that inner calling and that, you know, that confirmation from others around you to say, yeah, I think you're honestly, my calling came from others before it came from my, like that inner calling came out. Like I had other people telling me, uh, so when are we sending you to seminary? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, and, and I think that's helpful because I know for when I teach confirmation, I, I like to have that conversation of what are your talents? And I like to do that in a group setting, um, not necessarily like spiritual gifts, but like, what are you good at? And then how can you use that to benefit others? You know, um, and, and I like to have that conversation with confirmation students because confirmation students are ages in middle school so like they're both really self-absorbed but also like really want to know what others think of them without stopping to think about like how they actually think about others often and so by having that conversation in a community setting it makes them stop and think for a moment of like oh my good friend across the table what is he good at yeah. As well as like, oh, this kid that I hardly know, but I've noticed this and this about them. They're actually really good at this or whatever. Um, as well as it's like, you know, their their egos are so fragile out at that age often. So it's also really good for them to hear what others think of them in a positive light to kind of help build them up. Um, but similarly, I know that, um, you know, preachers we often hear the negative things Mm -hmm. right like 
oh, I think that you are being a little bit too political with that sermon. Or if they do have something good to say, it's often just, oh, good sermon pastor, <laughs> as they like leave and, you know, and it's like, oh, you say that every week, but you don't actually say what's good about it. So I'm just going to, that's just how you say goodbye to me, right? Like <laughs> sometimes it's really good for us to hear the good things mm-hmm. because otherwise we just hear the negative. Yeah. And I, I like that perspective you named uh, that instead of asking the question of somebody, do you have a spiritual gift? That it's what are your gifts? It assumes there are gifts in each of us. Um, and that's an important thing, both because it 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 frames the conversation, not like, well, if we can't discover one, maybe it's because you don't have one, you dummy. But instead, like everybody is given these gifts. And that's part of because that's the nature of the God we meet in Jesus is that God is kind of um, reckless and lavish with giving out gifts all around, not that God is stingy. And they may be different uh, and they may be used in different ways. And um, the way one person might put a value on a gift might be different from the way somebody else might see the value in somebody else's gift, but that God is in the business, you could say, of giving out gifts pretty broadly so if if we start with the assumption of everybody's got gifts the question is how do we help them to see them and how do we help find how they can best use them i I think that frames things a lot better than do you have one or not yeah i also like to have uh, the confirmation mentors be part of that conversation and then also include in their questioning of like, when did you notice this gift? Mm-hmm. Because confirmation mentors are often older. And if they all discovered their gifts and their talents that they've been using for decades as adults, sometimes it's really helpful for confirmation students to hear that, hey, just because I can't identify a gift right this second doesn't mean that I don't have one. Or possibly I just haven't discovered it yet. And that's okay. Right. Because, you know, Mr. So-and-so only, he, he only discovered his spiritual gift when he was 26. I'm only 12. So I have time. And that maybe also speaks to that question we, we touched on earlier of whether spiritual gifts are like for a lifetime, but like there are folks who sort of come to bloom, so to speak, you know, decades into life and, it's not that maybe the latent ability or capacity wasn't there, but maybe the the it wasn't the right time for it. It just wasn't time for it to, to come to the fore. And it's okay if in it's only in your 50s or 60s or 70s you discover, oh my goodness, I've got this capacity. I could be using it. It once you got once you once you realize it, great, use it. Yeah, every Christian has at least a spiritual gift. If not, I think most of us have multiple. Um and that's something that when I, when I shared, when I was preaching on this last year, you know, I, I try to tell folks like you have something mm-hmm. you might not have discovered yet, but you have something. It's not like certain Christian spiritual gifts aren't just for certain Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just for the religious professionals. They're not just for the, you know, exceptionally devout. They're for everyone. It's just a matter of whether or not you have found it and have really tuned into what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me like we've laid a pretty solid groundwork for at least where we might chart out the rest of our conversation. So we're going to be picking up, uh, if this if this conversation has intrigued you at all, maybe you find yourself wondering, huh, what might my spiritual gifts be? Or you want to uh, follow along with us in further conversation, join us here in the coming weeks here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.
Thank you.